I'm Susie Anetta, Editor-in-Chief of Design Anthology. In this episode of the podcast, I'm talking with Elaine Ng of Fabric Lab about her innovative textile and material practice that's based in Hong Kong. Elaine, thank you for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me, Susie. I'm very excited. <laughs> it's good to be chatting with you again. I mean, we would run into each other kind of somewhat regularly in Hong Kong. And now that I've been out of Hong Kong for 10 months, it feels like such a long time since I've seen you. So how has the last year been for you? Last year has been really bizarre. I mean, since COVID started, it's been really bizarre because I I haven't really been in Hong Kong at all. I've just returned to Hong Kong this month. Um, so last year, I went to China um, and I spent nearly a year in a tier three city in China. So that was even more bizarre for me. I'm going to come back to China in a little bit because I know that uh, you have, you know, quite a an important project and I imagine it's one that's quite dear to you and I want to delve into that a little bit deeper in a moment but I thought I might start our conversation by asking you about uh, where this all began like what age do you remember um, you know what age you might have been when you first realized that you wanted to pursue a career or studies um, I'm going to say textile design, but I know that what you do is much more complex than that, but let's just call it that for now. Do you remember, you know, whether there was an aha moment or whether, whether it was a slow process of realising that that was where you, you know, the path that you wanted to follow? This is the most difficult question I always said to people. Um, it's difficult to define when I start and what particular subject or area I work in. And I'm glad you have sort of, for the time being, defined textile design. <laughs> um, when when I, I guess I, I'm interested in making things when I was age of three. Um, that was when I first started holding a needle and sewing with paper. That was my first textile encounter. Um, and I thought that was really interesting that you can, and I, then since then I thought like sewing with paper was very normal, but then I realized actually you sew with cloth. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't quite know how my grandparents would let me to hold a needle when I was such a young age, but she did. <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't a plastic one. They clearly trusted you and, and maybe saw something in you. Yeah, maybe. But, you know, I, I think for being Chinese, you know, we always have to learn things the hard way. So hurting ourselves is not so bad. <laughs> Imprinted memory. Yeah, there's, you know, there's there's definitely some pros to that, I think. Um, and so obviously that very first encounter, obviously something was bubbling away in your mind as you were growing up and you eventually went to Central St. Martins. Can you tell us what you studied there and what that experience was like for you? Yeah, I, I might actually backtrack a little bit just to state that actually it was very difficult for me to get into St. Martin. Not that physically the submission was difficult, it's actually convincing my my family that I, I can take a year out. 
<laughs> or should take a year mm. out and do my art foundation. Um, it's sort of typical Chinese parents. They always love the kids to do something professional, you know, um, maybe accountant mm. or engineer. And I, I always thought actually engineering is a very interesting topic. And I, I did maths and, and, and physics and they were my favorite subjects like science and, and and physics in particular so actually i applied for architecture and sim martin was only supposed to be my gap year um and sort of open up my creativity through foundation but then i stayed on oh wow that's so interesting i've never heard you say that before yeah and um so so then i was really preparing myself to study architecture and um all, all my case studies and learning was really targeting that. And then when I was in St. Martin, because back in school, you only do textiles because you want to do fashion or that's the only subject the teacher would tell you that's the pathway. Um, and then when I was at St. Martin's, the tutors are very different from what I had in, in school. And they said, no, Elaine, you're definitely not a fashion person, not an architecture person. You're definitely a textile designer. You you possibly would maybe open up to designing materials. And I was like, what's that? Is, mm. that, is that a job? Is it a career? Is that a profession? Um, and I was very confused. So then it was really wonderful at the year of foundation, we get to practice many different things like learning how to mix ceramics like lots of taste of course of everything uh, sets design um and and textiles and then i think i found textiles the fundamental of it is really wide you can almost do anything that and and that can categorize as textiles and that's why i think i fell in love with it quite quickly because you can use any medium and it's the technique you can build on your technique and then it's um the the principle that's that's based on textiles and that that can be called textiles so you can weave but you don't have to weave on the loom you can weave off loom it's the methodology um that defines what is textile so i thought that was really cool mm. And so how did you convince your parents that, um, that you know, veering off from a non-traditional, from a Chinese perspective, career path was, you know, how did you convince them to let you do that? <laughs> well, first of all, I sort of, I bargained with them. I said, if I got, I, I studied really hard and I said, if I got A's for all my subjects, then that doesn't mean I'm slacking. Hence, I go to art school. And then I said, if I got a scholarship, then there's nothing stop you because I study for free. Mm. so 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 that convinced them and you did both well. of those things yeah um so that was that was a nice surprise <laughs> wow that's amazing and what was the name of the the um the the undergraduate degree that you actually ended up completing was it textile design or was it called something else i think yeah i think i think it was uh bachelor in textile design yeah and and then i specialized in weave okay so I'm going to talk about Fabric Lab, which is the company or the studio that you set up. But before we get to that, um, I wanted to talk a bit about some of your early experiences, because I believe that you worked at Nissan and Nokia uh, before setting up on your own, if I'm correct. And I wanted to hear a little bit about those experiences. Um, yeah, so after my undergraduate, I pursued a master right away. Um, and actually, I applied my master really late because I was a 
little bit stuck with my sort of um, final exam for my undergraduate. I wasn't quite sure what I want to make and it took too long for me to research. And then by the time I wanted to do it and then I thought, oh, I then I realized I, 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 I'm more interested in research than dive straight away in, into making. Um, and so my tutor said I should look into apply for a master degree um, and, and, and sort of focus in, in more before I develop my career. Usually they would not recommend that. Usually they recommend people to work a few years and then they go back to, to, to study. Um, but actually, I think my master really helped me and I specialized in shape memory material uh, research, uh, which is and programmable material. So um, that actually um, helped me to open up a lot of um, possibilities and for textile development and what I could go into. Um, and, and yeah, so after my 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 um, master at Central St. Martins, which I did at uh, Textile Futures, which I believe they've changed the name now, called Material Future. Um, mm. and, and, and yeah, and, and, and then um, I, I went to Nissan as my first job. It was really, it was really fascinating because I've never really imagined myself um, would be hired by an automotive company because there isn't a lot of textiles, but actually there are a lot of textiles. But then um, when when I, I got hired by the company, I think they were more interested in how my application of shape memory material can potentially applied in concept cars and, and things like that, that sort of um, got their interest in the first place. That's what well, I think. <laughs> um, That's interesting. And, 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 yeah, and then we I, I, I got allocated to um, work uh, within the concept car team, which is really exciting um, to really design for for the future, really, instead of um, production car, which is a really rare opportunity for uh, sort of a graduate, really. Mm, I imagine. And, and then how did you end up at Nokia? Well... <laughs> It, well, back back in the days, Nokia was the company to work for, you know, and uh, the color material department is super well known in the industry, the way how they provide training for the staff and also the methodology that they use and design the workshop, like the in-house workshop, the way how they build the team knowledge and design portfolio is really well known in the industry. So it is like everyone's room to go in to get themselves trained up um, and 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 so even my manager back then said Elaine you should apply for Nokia um, not that they don't want me mm. to stay on but they said like in terms of my approach and um, for learning it would be really useful for me um, so I so I mm. did actually she wrote my recommendation letter and then I, I got an interview um, and then I got offered to um, work in their Beijing APEC office uh, as a, a color and material designer. And did you speak Mandarin at that time? No, my transfer was a disaster. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I actually don't know, did you grow up in Hong Kong or in the UK? I spent most of my time in the UK, but I actually I spent a good 
six, seven years uh, in Hong Kong when I was a kid uh, during primary school time. So I understand Cantonese, but I mm. I didn't get a chance to practice much. Um, and and then uh, I spent a lot of time in England and, and Yorkshire and Surrey. And then moving to Beijing must have been quite a shock to oh, the system. Right. I mean, it's it's a pretty big city. <laughs> yeah, and I was, I guess if I knew what Beijing was like, then I would turn down the offer. But <laughs> the, the, the thing is, now we're talking about like, what, 10, 12 years ago? Mm. What were you in 2021? Yeah, 10, 12 years ago. And, and Basically, it's very China was very different back then compared to now. And when I had my interview, my manager then has actually warned me already. She interviewed me. She said, "Oh, Lane, we think you'll be perfect for the job." Da da da. I was like, "Oh, great!" But um, as as we know, you spend most of the time in England and you don't speak Mandarin. Um, would you? Would you have any concern moving to China? I, th- I think she sounded more worried and concerned for me than, than myself. I found it quite funny. <laughs> um, and then I was like, do you want to offer me the job or not? And then she's like, no, 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 no. Uh, it's, it's just like a lot of, I think they had a lot of staff like didn't uh, get used to the transition, especially in mm. Beijing. It's it's very different from any other city. And, and then she said, well, you might not get used to it you might not get used to the food. And I was like, oh, don't miss silly. You know, I'm Chinese, you know. <laughs> I don't speak the, my dad's language, but food, come on. Who doesn't like Chinese food? Yeah. But um, I was so wrong. <laughs> oh, really? I yes, I didn't realize. Because um, wow. my, my, my Chinese palate was trained for like Southern like Chinese food or uh... Shanghainese food. Um, so it's sort of sweet. Um, and Cantonese food, is, it has a different complexity and, and flavor compared to northern Chinese food. The flour right. was very different. They use the oil, the, 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 the way they cook and the way they feast. So basically, it, it was the food that was the worst part when I first moved to Beijing. Like that, oh, there wasn't... Wow. Yeah, it was limited to, in terms of food and I remember like my Christmas presents from my cousin um was like <laughs> he DHL me like mayonnaise and baked beans <laughs> oh that's really sweet <laughs> and flowers uh, and filled his tea and yeah that's hilarious oh that's really sweet <laughs> yeah I mean I guess I'm, I imagine that many people wouldn't perhaps realize how much diversity there is within China. Um, but when you think about how large the country is, um, you know, it makes sense. And with such a long and rich history that different cuisine kind of cultures exist within different cities. So, um, but yeah, that's so interesting. I, yeah, I quite like Northern Chinese cuisine, but it is, it is very different. Um, it's very different from Cantonese food. I will definitely give you that <laughs> based on my limited <laughs> knowledge. It's very different. <laughs> so tell us then, how did you end up in Hong Kong? Was that, um, I, I believe that you started Fabric Lab in 2013, correct me if I'm wrong. Did you move down to Hong Kong to do that? Or um, was there another kind of reason that drew you down back to Hong Kong? It was a bit of a blurb really. Uh, well. 
Well, actually, when I was in Nokia, um, I, I got nominated um, by someone to apply for TED Fellowship. Um, and that opened me up to a whole new world um, mm. in, in, in terms of the opportunity to to get coached, um, to to present my work and to collaborate, to learn from other designers, um, engineers. And it, it was really, really great. And and then towards um, 2000 and end of 2012 or 13, early 2013, um, I was really encouraged by a lot of my friends of Elaine, why don't you start your own thing since you're always so envy about us having our own show. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot, a lot of our friends um, uh, who, who graduated at the same time, they were doing a lot of their own thing. Um, not a lot of people went to corporate jobs and I was like, oh, I wish I could do exhibition in Paris and, you know, be in Amsterdam and all that. And then they said, well, you can be if you quit your job. But I was like, quit my job? <laughs> mm. um, yeah, but and, and, and then the the pollution sort of became like a major factor and then it affected my health a little bit and then so I I I, I took a, a break um and and then in between I, I was still living in Beijing then actually and I thought oh okay I'm gonna register a company not sure what to do and then I I I, I sort of without a really a grand plan I started the fabric lab and thinking things are going to be so easy because I was so naive um I think I, I can I can survive my master in two years and build my own collection program without learn without knowing I can do anything and um, and plus I was sort of my job was really wonderful it allows me to go to different factories and work with different suppliers and because I work with Nissan and Nokia they're all like big brands so of course suppliers will say yes to any request and I I don't oversee the cost um, so when you became an independent designer is a whole new game it's so different <laughs> <laughs> yeah I bet and I know that you find it quite hard to describe what you do because it is very multifaceted and almost multidisciplinary in a way there's obviously a textile and, and a very strong weaving element to what you do, but innovation and material technology is also a very strong part of what you do. Uh, I wonder if you could perhaps explain that in a better way than what I have done. And, and also tell me if you think that that has changed over the years, like what you had in mind, obviously, I think many of us jump into a business and don't know what we want to do. I did the same. So, um, but yeah, I, I imagine that maybe your definition of fabric of the fabric lab has changed since you founded it. Could you maybe talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, when I first started it, um, I, I had a, a, a sort of small idea in my mind what I want to do. I mean, back then everyone, and well, the, the 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 industry that I know, they they love like different or small boutique trend agency, um, and a, and I, I know a lot of people in that area, so that actually helped me to kick off a lot of my my work. And I thought, oh, actually, I can do that, and then I can also make installation. Actually, what I'm really interested in 
inwards uh, perspective design and make installation that reacts and make people think. Um, and of course, the craft and programming element and the biomimicry was some of the core elements that I'm really interested in. Um, so that was there was a very loose framework, but nothing too solid. And then there were so many voice out there, voices out there and said, oh, Elaine, you should commercialize this, you should do this. And that actually didn't help. And that made me struggle even more um, at the beginning. Um, and then what really helped me to focus was um, I tried when I was trying to develop um, textiles and reach out to different manufacturers to start to um, uh, built a collection or, or, or make samples, everyone turned me down and said, you can't do this. Or if I go to um, uh, the sort of fabric um, trading company and they said, but we have tons of fabrics already. Uh, you don't have to design on your own. Um, plus, we don't know how to change the pattern. We can only, the factory determines. So, and I said, but I do. So, no, 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 you don't. Like, you no no one in Hong Kong's weave so you don't and I was like no no I do so it was I found it very confused at the beginning I was like why people wouldn't understand I'm a weaver um and then when I was telling people in the industry uh when I first met I'm a weaver they said like, oh so you you your 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 factory works in cut and soul I was like no not cut and soul like no I don't work in fashion I literally design fabric and then and this is like oh so what do you do uh do you go to some show port and collect swatch card? I was like, no, that's not what my job is. Um, so that made me rethink how how people has no knowledge or understanding about a serious weaver's job is. Um, and perhaps that's because there's no facilities in Hong Kong enable this industry to grow. Um, and one of the reasons why the fabric lab, it's called the fabric lab, with a K, um, it's also because I really want to use textile mythology to build material for uh, architectural use or interior use applications. Um, that's why it's like fabric for building brick. Um, yeah, so, so that really pushed mm. me to think, how can I develop my studio um, differently compared to conventional like trend agency? Or like, how do we really convince people in practice that we have the skill set um, as a studio and, and so I start reaching out to different makers lab and maker space and look at the facilities and actually the environment um, and facilities can't enable like a textile maker to do anything because the tools aren't right um, and I guess one of the right at the beginning as well like my understanding of myself wasn't good enough like you might think like you've designed for like after masters and working that's already good like five seven eight years of practice you 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 should know yourself really well but I was always very um reluctant to call myself a maker because uh I don't know if you remember there's a maker movement back in like 80s and 90s in England and there's always a lot of book and defined what is a maker was a designer it's it's very mm. different and and I didn't want people to think I'm just a a a, a craft person um, and not have technical skills or design skill set that can fit. So then I really want to 
blurred this too because actually there's so much great values in in, in craft that people are not really um, seeing in this modern world uh, hence a lot of our projects and and, and, and practice and research um, would go back to different origins of craft research so okay um, back to, back to the, the studio um, so then mm. I've decided to build um, facilities so that enables us to make our own textiles in Hong Kong in Kwai Heng in our studio um, so the first year I saved up um, and, and bought our first hand loom and then then the, the year after we bought our first arm loom which is very similar to hand loom you still have to hand operate it but you can uh, plug in your pattern and operate with your feet but you still have to manually feed through but it will advance your pattern and speed uh, in terms of sampling and then um, a couple years later we we bought in the hong kong's first tc2 loom which is a a jacquard prototyping loom uh, that's from norway so I even brought like one of my staff to go to Norway with me for two weeks um, for the training factory to understand every single component of that um, loom. And then we've wow. got various facilities in the studios. Yes, you should come and have a look here. Yeah, we've got I 3D will. printers, we've got heat press, we've got um, proper like centrist sort of uh, steamers and, and, and also sewing machines and tools. I knew you had one loom. I didn't realise there was a series of them. That's so impressive. <laughs> um, but yeah, I find it really curious that Hong Kongers didn't really understand what textile design was because, the, you know, Hong Kong was such a city for textile production for, you know, quite some time. There, you know, there were looms and, and weaving and, and factories there. But yeah, obviously that moved um, across the border to China, I guess, with cheaper production and things opening up. Um, and clearly that knowledge has been lost, which is a little bit sad. But do you find that it's getting easier for you to explain that to people, what you do? Um, with the machineries, definitely. I think um, every everyone needs to understand the context no one really understands why i have invested in this loom in and and put it in hong kong because everyone felt like the space in hong kong are really expensive um and so the designers should always work in small space but when i first moved to hong kong i place almost place a bet i rented a really big space um but all the way out in kwai heng it was there was nothing out there back then um it's a little bit better now there are a couple of like cafes around but there was literally nothing it was a very industrial area um but i like the the quietness out here there's no distraction i and i can really focus and work and people are really reluctant to come out back then to come and see me they said oh are you in central I was like no <laughs> i'm in kwai heng and they're like oh i won't come but can we meet in central like, okay so i i used to travel with a suitcase oh wow actually now people understand my practice a bit better because I I explained to them how I operate my studio like a mini supply chain a mini factory then people understand I was like if you have different facilities in different buildings you have to ask different departments to borrow then it will take a long time but if you have miniatures of everything at least you can run through the practice once and then you can have some really innovative work out 
in really short amount of time. Not just that it's sustainable in terms of the waste um, that's minimal, but also you can speed up the time and work with the clients closer. Because when I didn't have any um, machineries, I always had to rely and back like external parties um, and then I didn't have quantities. It's always about innovations and making one-off pieces. So even though the client wanted to use my design or thoughts or our agency, they couldn't because the time was too long. And now actually we build up our own mini ecosystem. Then we always have good projects um, in that sense. Well, I'm, I want to talk about another facet of what you do now, and um, that is the Unfold project, which I think kicked off in 2016, correct me if I'm wrong, where you partnered with some women living in a village or several villages in Guizhou in China with the help of some funding from Hong Kong-based Design Trust. Um, and I wondered if you could tell us a little bit about how you first discovered the village and these women and the skills that they have and how you've continued to kind of build on those relationships now through COVID. Um, because I'm imagining that they don't have email or Zoom um, and travel has been, you know, obviously very limited. So could you talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, so my first encounter with Guizhou was actually back in 2013 um, when I was still living in Beijing. And when I was visiting then, um, I was visiting, I was invited by a, a professor uh, from Beijing and they had funding from the government to invite designers to work with local artisans and create pieces for um, Beijing Design Week. Um, and they asked me, would I be interested? Because um, I knew I'm a weaver. And I was very excited because I've only really sort of learned Chinese um, textile through the cabinet in VNA really. I'd never really had a, a personal sort of encounter. So I was very excited visiting them and then um, the professor asked, okay, so Elaine, can you make me a list of um, uh, what type of techniques you want to learn? I'll send you loads of photos and just sort of highlight the photos that you're interested in and then we'll organize the trip accordingly and uh, we'll make sure the people are back in the village. And uh, and I was very confused with it, his last comment. I'll make sure everyone will back, be back in the village. And I said, what do you mean? Don't I live in a village? And then then I realized, um, oh, and then when we went there, then I realized no one actually lives in the village anymore, um, to the areas where we live. They all work in factories um, oh. out in different cities. So that was the key problem. No one really had the opportunity to work with their own heritage culture anymore because lack of uh, demand in terms of the type of textiles and the way how to produce textiles was not up to speed and 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 the price point wasn't competitive enough and the pattern was not sort of enabling them to go beyond Guizhou or the local markets um, and and so after my first visit, I was so very excited and haven't done much research. Then I, I then I sent them loads of materials that I was using anyway, and thought, oh, it'd be really cool if I asked them to weave um, some 
met with some metal yarn and recycled electrical cables. Uh, that'd be so nice. And then I got very excited. They got very offended. <laughs> and, <laughs> and I was like, why? And then I went on well, my second visit. They haven't even touched a packet and a material I send them and they refused to talk to me. And I was very confused. And I said, I send you some all good material and you don't appreciate them. And I got very angry. All to do with miscommunication. Mm. Um, trust me, it wasn't very pretty. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they speak like local dialects then. And I had to have a translator. And translator was quite reluctant to translate what they said to me. But I get the gist oh, of it. They basically yeah. was unhappy. <laughs> um, so I, I said, what's wrong? And then then translator said, oh, basically... They don't understand why do you have to change their approach. They don't understand why would anyone want to wear metal or wear anything that's not new. Like because clearly the the electric cables I've sent them is recycled. They said like why you want to weave with um, sort of non-practical or used material. And I explained to them, oh, this is the concept I'm building for another project. Um, it'll be really good to use their skill set. And then I think then I click then they didn't like I intrude like the way how they work in the first place um, and they didn't understand why anyone would appreciate these material after it's been woven that's why they refuse to actually work with these materials and on the other hand I also understand myself that I didn't actually put any effort understand the culture I was sort of merely thinking oh if I use the skill set it could then be a good story so it's a little bit like social greenwashing in a way like so there was a beginning mm. and, and I felt then it was a, a good lesson for me to learn at an early stage and it hit me really hard um because it took a long time for me to rebuild and then I I also then realized actually when they learn weaving it was really um learned by uh, muscles memory practice it wasn't learned from the fundamental of calculation mm. um and that also creates a lot of barrier. So then I realized, oh, maybe if I, being a designer, if I can contribute in this area, I, I felt like I could be useful. So um, in 2014, uh, I continues went, went, went back to, to Guizhou uh, for visits to just build relationship and in search in different areas to see which village was best for me to kick off a heritage research initiative project. Um, and then in 2015, um, I applied for um, Design Trust Grant, which enables me to do a really in-depth research um, for completely like non-commercial related it's just really trying to prototype an ecosystem to enable the villages can be product knowledge and skill set can bridged with our modern society and the work can be appreciated and spread with the right market tier and not remain in the local markets when they couldn't sell for the the, the right amount of money competitive effort they have put out. Um, and we made a 30 minutes documentary and showcase in um, Asia Society in Hong Kong. It's such a great story. I mean, I, I actually think in some ways that that really is such a great lesson in diplomacy in many ways, you know, I guess arriving somewhere new and um, we all make assumptions about other people based on our own perceptions and experiences and sometimes it just requires 
you know, I think t taking a step outside of what is familiar to understand mm. somebody else's world. And when you do that and it's appreciated and, you know, I guess it's also a sign of respect that, that then you can really start to kind of communicate on on level ground. But uh, and how has that relationship continued through COVID? I mean, yeah, I imagine I don't know, I'm assuming, so I shouldn't be, I make, shouldn't be making assumptions either, but you know, email and phone calls, how, how has it all sort of continued through this time? Actually, the, um, the hub that we, we had, we, it's, well, every, actually everyone in, 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 in the team, um, they have WeChat. So actually, um, WeChat call as possible now. <laughs> Back in the days, mm. no, it was it's a, a really basic phone, or some, or mo most of them don't even have phones. But now, um, seven years on, everyone has a smartphone, um, and they are very advanced with the smartphone technology. Actually, it was really funny. Sometimes when they work, they would have a massive like village group chat, and then people would sing, and they would just turn it on a bit like a, a the, their own like private radio podcast. Uh, really cute. That's amazing. Yeah. <laughs> That's um, China. Yeah. Wow. Um, I, I just actually wanted to maybe fast forward um, a little bit actually to 2019. So you were actually the recipient of um, uh, the Emerging Talent Award for the Design Anthology Awards in 2019 and won a trip uh, to Milan that was sponsored by Bolt Up and their Hong Kong distributor House of Madison. And I believe that it was there that you met Nature Squared and you have continued to kind of work with them uh, in an in-house capacity and have created this new collection, which was shown just recently in Milan, in Salone in September at Rosanna Orlandi's space, which we all know and love. And I would love to have you talk a little bit about that in terms of um, the technique in creating these tiles and maybe also what the response was like from people uh, visiting the space during Salone this year. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 2019. Time flies, isn't it? <laughs> it does. Um, Sadly. Yeah. No. Well, I I think um, yeah. The, the the thanks to the award, really. I I mean, um, I think I was a uh, one of the very last minute like applicant for for the for the award, and it was it was a super exciting price like to 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 be able to travel to Milan and and learn from the design week and then on my very first day actually I arrived at Rosanna Orlandi's gallery and the first exhibition I went to see was Nature Squared Space um, and I was just like looking around and then it was really busy in the room and I said oh I really just want to say thank you to them because it's just so nice and the work is really cool and it was Bethan's Gray's collection and I thought wow that was the scale and the way how they applied feathers and the inlay was magnificent and then I I didn't know the the person that I was speaking to was the co-founder Lei Kun um, and she was really nice and she was telling me um, what they do and then and then she said, oh, Elaine, tell me a bit about yourself. And I said, oh, I'm a weaver. And then she went, oh, you're a weaver. We're looking for a weaver. We have a project um, trying to, to use recycled fishnet. Um, and then I think she got really excited. And then that sort of mm. stuck in my mind. 
uh, uh, really well. And then she said, oh, well, okay, um, we'll connect again and I'll email you um, in June um, where we'll be coming through Hong Kong. So, you know, that sort of conversation, it's, it's sort of, you'll probably hear a couple of times um, during Milan Design Week and then people never really reached out because there's so many people, especially as a first day of the exhibition. <laughs> mm. um, and, and promptly in June, she emailed me and said, we're coming through Hong Kong. Can we come and visit your studio? <laughs> wow. um, yeah. So, so, so I thought, wow, this is, this is amazing. This lady, she, she really remembered me and then they came and then I showed them what I do, especially with the unfold project as well. Um, we, we clicked initially, they wanted me to, um, focus and, uh, weave, uh, to train up the weave department and design weave collection. Um, so I went to Cebu, uh, where their, um, production headquarters are, uh, so they have two factories in, in, in Cebu um, for for different skill sets. And uh, when I first went and I was really amazed um, with all the raw materials they work with, there were hundreds of them, a different type of bone, um, fish skin, eggshell, hundreds types of seashells um, and, and fibers, husks. And I was really amazed. And then they even explained to me that the, the supply chain that they have, they, they will work with directly with the waste, the original, the waste source. So they, they don't, they don't just use sort of, um, regular merchandise material that you, 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 you get from a shop or a supplier. So I thought that's even more meaningful and really matches with the vision that I have in terms of how do we make more impact? Cause by the time uh, 2019, I have my studio for, um, I think five to six years then and I really want to expand my personal capacity to see how like I can create work that can make greater impact and sustainability and not in a in in, in a, a small scale um and and so I went back to to Nature Square and I proposed to them I want to design a, a material portfolio um for for you guys and um would you be interested in and so they said well go ahead and propose <laughs> and and i did and i did some research and i look at the portfolio and i look at the portfolio and a huge chunk of it was calcium carbonate uh, orientated um especially shells and, and eggshell um and they also told me actually with eggshell um they with the traditional inlay approach uh they they have waste with that. And I thought, oh, that would be interesting to see how we can use waste of the waste um, to design new material. And also um, the traditional bespoke work they, 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 they provide for their sort of current client. It's very, very time consuming and it's a non-repeatable process. So then I thought, oh, it would be a good time for me to learn um, to see how we can develop a formula that is versatile, that can we can make repeat process. Um, and so I've since then been working with the engineers and also the chemists to develop formula to to do so. And Carolee was our first um, calcium carbonate um, collection that's made with uh, eggshell waste. That's incredible. 
Such a great story and it, it just makes me so proud that I guess we played a very tiny part in that. Obviously your your talent um, was what got you there, but it, it, yeah, it was. it's a very, very exciting story. And I feel like we Crucial could spend part. hours. <laughs> I feel like we could spend hours diving into each of these subjects that we've barely touched on. Um, but I would, I will just ask you one more question because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. Um, for someone who is still quite young, you have already collaborated with some really big brands like Taiping, Swarovski, um, Kvadrat, Moleskin, and UBS. You uh, are a TED fellow, you've won multiple awards. I would like to know what else would you still like to accomplish and achieve in your career? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it, it's really nice to receive all these amazing awards and compliments. But I, I think what I really would like to focus in the next five, ten years is to um, team up with um, good players in the industry to really compact on uh, sustainability in terms of climate change issues, you know, um, in, in terms of production method. Um, that's one of the reasons why I spend like a, uh, a long time in, 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 in China. I'm trying to convince a lot of factories to work with me um, to create collections and short runs, not just mass production that can allow like international brands when they enter China, then they can have low carbon footprint and produce material and they don't have to ship all the way from Europe just because they they think the, the Europe quality and standard is better. Um, and so I want to become a, a trusted party that everyone I can work with people and, and comfortable. Because I, I think a lot of time I've asked um, some of my clients said, um, why, why would you not want me to make these in China? Um, and they said, well, they're not really trusted. One with the quality and the other is IP. But I think after spending this good 10 months in China convincing a lot of like parties, we came in a really good agreement um, how to do it and how to do it collectively together. Um, so that's what one of the next steps that I really want to push is to work with different parties for um, uh, like a smarter way of, of, of producing um, materials collectively um, and use um, our waste better because I, I believe um, Nature Square and my journey will go a long way and um, this is just the beginning so um, we, we were actually designing seashell next for our collection so this is a little sneak peek of what we're going to do next. Fantastic well I can't wait to see that and yeah the, the world certainly needs more creatives that think the way that you do so thank you so much for your time today Elaine it's been really great chatting and so nice to hear your voice again. Yes. Oh, yeah. I, I hope I get to see you in person soon. Yeah. I should be back early next year, so hopefully we can catch up then. Oh, wonderful. Yes, please do. Thanks so much, Elaine. Thank you, Susan.